Welcome to the MFR Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how you can create a six-figure MFR practice. I'm your host, Heather Hommel. Not only have I been practicing MFR for 11 years, I'm also a life and business coach, especially for MFR therapists. My goal is for you to understand how to get fully booked, how to talk to your clients, and how to make sure they understand what's possible for them with MFR treatment. I'm here to help you stop under earning, overworking, and burning out. I'll lend support so you can create the MFR practice you've always wanted. Learn how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town, and even if you're just starting out, and even if you've ran your practice for years. Let's go. Hey, podcast listener, I want to make sure that you know and understand that you can become a founding member of my brand new 12-month coaching program right now. Get in before we even start our live coaching or get in the week we start live coaching, August 1st. There's zero benefit to waiting for your business to be in the perfect situation in order for you to join. There's so much power for being in community and learning from others that are going through the same things that you're going through or one step ahead of you. Be in this group and get to work on your business right now. Create the foundations to have a six-figure myofascial release business. Do it now. Do it today. I'm so excited to be your coach. Go to www.themfrcoach.com backslash coaching today and join right now. I'll see you over there. And again, live coaching begins August 1st. You get instant access to the course right after you sign up. See you later. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. I am joined today by one of my coaches. She's actually, I'm in two of her programs. So Gina Knox is here to tell us all of the things. She is a wealth and money coach. Hopefully I'm like identifying you as the right genre for coaching, but absolutely. (laughs) She has two different programs currently, Six Figure Saver and Seven Figure Wealth as well as a podcast called Save Six Figures with Gina Knox, which I highly recommend you all run over and download and start listening to immediately because it will change your life. So Gina, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, you identified me correctly. (laughs) Perfect. So let's talk about money and wealth. Have you always identified as someone who has been good with money or felt safe around money? That's a good question. So this is like multifaceted. I don't have a traditional finance background. I went to art school. I graduated with a bachelor's of fine arts in interaction design. Very like artsy fartsy. (laughs) My mom was a chef. My dad was a lawyer. So he brought some of that like structure and money stuff. But I definitely grew up in the theater. I grew up in the arts world and I graduated as a designer. But I have always been interested in money as a topic, both from the strategic perspective of like, how do we manage our money well? And how do we be good stewards of our money? But also from the emotional perspective, because I think that in the money world, we skew way too heavy on the strategy. And we do not take into account enough all of the emotions that come up when we talk about money, right? And all the reasons why people do or don't do things with their money, linking back to their fears, their anxieties, whatever. So when I graduated college, I was very interested in the topic and I heavily pursued 
Intuit, which is a tech company. They're the makers of TurboTax and QuickBooks. And I was like, I'm a designer. I want to work for them. Like, I went hard. (laughs) I bugged the crap out of them until they hired me. And it's because I wanted to help people with their money. So it's always been a theme in my life and my career, even though I've done it in different ways. And I loved my time at QuickBooks. I was a researcher there for five years. I spent time with over 500 entrepreneurs, accountants, CFOs. And as much as I really enjoyed my career there, I was craving more personal impact with people, which is when I started coaching. And I was getting a lot more of that. Like at QuickBooks, I was impacting millions of customers around the world in smaller ways. And in my coaching, I'm impacting dozens of people in life-changing ways. So I kind of got both worlds. And I think that's kind of like how the story has come. I love that so much. So I had no idea that it could be possible to save six figures. And your program is like save six figures in 12 months. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I've always been a person that has just enough money and has found a way to create enough money for everything I've wanted to do. But I've always kind of felt behind or uneducated and also identify as like not good with money. I think that that's kind of a generational thing that's been passed down to me, not necessarily the truth of my reality anymore, but it's very hard to get out of that, like those ideas out of my brain. Yeah. So when I stumbled across your program to the Six Figure Saver program, I was instantly attracted to it because it's like kind of like a fun game (laughs) to know that you could do this. Do you want to talk about how did you come up with that idea? I mean, it's like, it's wild to me, but also very doable now that I know your program and I understand how to make it happen. Yeah. So Six Figure Saver has gone through many iterations. It's my 12-month group coaching program for entrepreneurs. And it was always called Six Figure Saver, but it it started off as a personal finance course group when I was really focused more on high achieving women in their nine to fives. And it has shifted so much over time. And as I've coached over a hundred people through that program now, I'm super happy with the iteration we're in now. But yeah, it started because there's something special about 100K. And when it comes to your money, when you hit 100K, it almost feels like pushing a boulder up a mountain, especially that first 100K oh my God, it feels like it's never going to happen. And then once you get that boulder on top of the 100K mountain, something incredible starts happening with compound interest, especially if you also start investing, which is a lot what we talk about in Seven Figure Wealth, where the boulder starts rolling down the mountain without your effort. And it's like this incredible thing. And so I realized, oh my God, so many people never make it to the other side, right? They never make it to the point in their life where their money is making money for them and they're really experiencing the fruit of their compound interest. And why are they never making it there? It's because A, like maybe they think it's impossible or they feel so burdened by pushing this boulder up this mountain. And so my thought was, how can we level the mountain, right? Like how can we either like level the mountain entirely or how can we give you like super strength, (laughs) Mario super strength, where we get more people there because that first 100K is the hardest, but then it becomes so much easier after it. So that was really my goal. And that has always been my goal with Six Figure Saver, regardless of 
the different iterations of the program. But now specifically focusing on entrepreneurs with variable income, there's so many things we can do to save 100K fast, especially with our variable income. And I think, oh my gosh, like so many people think their variable income, their inconsistent income is the reason why they can't save, is the reason why they can't pay off their debt, is the reason why they can't be good with money. And I'm like, no, your variable income as an entrepreneur is simply a circumstance, right? Like I worked at QuickBooks for five years. I interviewed over 500 business owners varying from making their first like couple thousand dollars all the way up to $83 million a year corporations. Every business has inconsistent income at every income level. And I just realized, oh my God, people think that's not true. <laughs> like people think I just need to grow big enough and then my income will be consistent. No, the only way your income is going to be consistent is if you go get a nine to five. So how can we make managing your money easy when you have variable income? And that's a lot of what I'm just super passionate about helping people do. Yeah. Well, I think this is perfect, especially for myofascial release therapists. They are going to have variable incomes and when they work with me, they're learning how to create their first six figures and then to recreate that over and over again on an annual basis and even go beyond their first six figures into multiple six figures. So let's talk about the idea of variable incomes. Like what does that mean? And how do people know when they can start saving? Like at what amount of money do they have to have? Like what comes first? Is it the chicken or the egg? Like, tell us a little bit about like what you recommend. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very convoluted question. Sorry. This is good. Okay. Let me start by answering the first, what okay. is variable income? I think that's kind of what your question was. I think the way I define it is every month, the number that comes into your bank account is different. Now there's different types of business models that have different ways the variability shows up. I have a launch business model. So that means I open my programs for a couple weeks a year and then close them. So what that looks like for my cash flow is like huge cash months and then really low cash months <laughs> and sometimes no cash months. That hasn't happened for a while, but it's still definitely a possibility, right? There are evergreen business models where you're just selling constantly, which may be what your therapists do, right? Like constantly onboarding. Yeah, they're constantly having new clients come in. And then to, in order to get fully booked, I teach them this method of selling packages, which is at a slight discount. Maybe people are saving $100 when they buy, you know, like a package of six. But so some people have like 10, 15, $17,000 months. And then the next month is maybe 2,000 or 5,000. And there's this right. freak out that starts to happen, even though they've made oh 17,000. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Especially like, if you have a book of clients, there's always going to be clients who stop coming and there's always going to be new clients who onboard. Yes. So every month, even if you have a consistently booked out book of clients, every month, the dollar amount entering your account is going to be different. And that's how I define variable income. So to the second part of your question, when should you start saving? Immediately. Okay. With your first client. Yeah. <laughs> like and then immediately. saving that to lock that money away or like, what is yeah. the intention of the money? Right. This is, I think, where my philosophy maybe will surprise people. My philosophy is that we always save to spend. Mm -hmm. That's why I love it. <laughs> we're always saving to spend. Mm -hmm. So if we're always saving to spend, we need to start saving immediately, knowing that we will spend it later. 
especially as business owners. This may sound like a detail, but I think it's really important. In my program, Six Figure Saver, we don't call savings savings. We call our savings working capital. Like I have my clients open their checking account and open a savings account, which they title working capital. So let's use the example of you just sold a bunch of packages and you had a 17K cash month. A good portion of that will go into your working capital. And then during your 2K months, while you're booked out, so you can't take on any more clients, but you had all these you know, painful clients up front, you're using your working capital to pay your business's bills, including yourself, including your owner's pay. So there's no level at which it's like, oh, you started making six figures. Now you should start saving. Absolutely not. You should start saving in the first iterations of your business because we're always using our savings as we go. And there's a second part of this answer, which is, I was like, I had to think about how I wanted to say it. (laughs) Like when you start saving as a business owner, you'll start earning more. Because what happens when you start saving is you calm your nervous system and you feel safe. You're like, wow, look, I am good with money. Look, I do know how to save when I have high cash months. And then I know how to use that working capital when I need it without the drama. When you reduce your mindset drama about money, you have more capacity to show up and sell. Yeah. Like just think about how much mental and emotional energy we spend worrying about our money. If all that mental, emotional energy were gone, you would have more time to focus on growing your business. So I always say like, there's no level at which you should start saving. You should start saving now so that you can grow your income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say to people though, that are like, I need every penny to pay myself. Like I just started this business or I've never been fully booked, but I, I am like already depending on it immediately to fund my life. Yeah. Like how do you bridge that gap? Uh, No, absolutely. I would say be clear with yourself because a lot of people will say stuff like you just said, but it's very vague. Right. I'm like, Heather, what does that even mean? How much money do you need in your life? You're like, I'm taking every penny. Well, how many pennies is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So I force my clients to get very, very clear. What is the owner's pay that you need to pay your bills and survive in your personal life? What are the average bills in your business every month? And then can we create a break even number? So your break even number for those listening is average monthly expenses plus your owner's pay. Your owner's pay should be a dollar amount, not a percentage, not whatever's left at the end of the month. (laughs) I see a lot of this happening with, um, I don't know if this happens in your community, but I need to match my corporate salary. I'm like, that's an arbitrary number. Right. What do you need to pay your bills and live in your personal life? That's your owner's pay. Plus your average monthly expenses, add those two together. Now that's your break even. Mm -hmm. So my break even just went up. I have to redo my numbers, but I think my break even is like $30,000 a month. I have a very expensive business. And ditto. <laughs> so, like this last month in May, I made 38000 Cool. Now I know without even going into the spreadsheets, going into the bank account, I was profitable in May by $8,000, which means I could probably save $8,000 in my working capital. Yeah. But in January, my income was $9,000. And at that point, my break even was 20. So I was like, okay, cool. Now I know 
I'm going to have to take money out of my working capital to cover the difference in January. No problem. Yeah. So it's not even about like, I'm taking all the money that I earn every month. That's absolutely fine if that's the stage you're at, but I need you to know your numbers. And I need you to be able to say it to me as simply as I just said it to you. Yes. Without having to check. Right. Well, and I help people to raise their rates based on kind of that same formula. It's like, what do you need to earn? What do you want to earn? And how many hours do you want to work? And then we have a math equation. We just figure out the numbers based on that. I think I see sometimes people go straight to, I need to fund my lifestyle. I'm not sure how much that is, but I need to maybe be bringing home $8,000 every month outside of paying all my business bills. And there's so much pressure on the business from the beginning that it puts up this wall and this nervous system response that makes it virtually impossible to get fully booked because you're constantly worried every time you go to sell your product to somebody and every time they say no, and it just, it becomes that boulder pushing up the mountain, but it's like every day the boulder like doesn't move or it comes crashing back down on you. Do you have any like words of wisdom for people in that spot? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm very familiar with this pattern, if you will. Yes. I think a couple things. Usually when I'm coaching people in that pattern who are adding a lot of pressure to their businesses because of fear, they're usually being very vague. I always say specificity is the enemy of fear. Yes. If you're in a lot of fear, usually you're being very vague. Those usually go hand in hand. So what that means is I'll hear someone say, I'm not making enough money. I don't have enough sales calls. I need more. And I'm like, those are all vague terms. What is enough money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what have you made so far? What is the delta between those? Like, if you came to me with that, like, hey, Gina, my break even is $12,000. I have made $9,781 so far this month, and I need to make the difference. We can coach on that. Yeah. So easily. Like, okay, cool. We need to make up a couple thousand dollars. What are your offers? Who have you, who's a hot lead right now? Like we can start going. But if you just come to me like, oh my God, like this month is going to shit. The month's almost over. I don't have enough money. It's a totally different place to coach from because now what we have to do is focus on just calming you down before we can even get to the strategy stuff. So what I would say for people who are in that pattern Specificity is the enemy of fear. Where are you not being specific? Yes. Go spend time with that question. Where am I not being specific? And by the way, this has nothing to do with what level you're at in business. I do this. Mm -hmm. Me too. I do this as a scaling to a million dollar business. There are still places where I have fear and I have to remind myself to get specific. Yes. So it's not something that it's like, a newbie issue. It's just something that we have to constantly continue to do. And you'll get better at it. You'll get better at it and you'll get faster at going through the cycles. Yeah. And you don't aren't always aware why it's why it's so important to be in coaching with someone who also has eyes on these problems. Cause I think too, like part of being in both of your programs, I think that's a question that you ask me quite a bit when I'm freaking out. You're like, okay, well, how's like, what are the actual facts? <laughs> like, right. If you were to get specific, what's the problem? Right. And it's like, oh, maybe it's just my brain running out of control. And then having someone else say like, your brain is telling you that all of this stuff is wrong. But when we get the facts, we can make the plan. And then if you are thousands of dollars short and you don't believe that clients are coming, you can go 
work at Starbucks or drive Uber, literally become a grocery deliverer for a few weeks. And none of that means anything's a problem. It's just like, but when you have a plan and you know how to solve for that problem, whatever the plan is, you can actuate on it. You can take action and get it done. Yeah. I have other clients too that are spinning out in maybe their husband has lost their job and now they feel responsible for everything. But instead of coming up with a plan, it's just constant spin around the circumstance. And that usually too comes back to like, if my husband lost his job, now I need to make up his salary. Exactly. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do you actually? Like, that's just an arbitrary number that that company decided to pay your husband. What are your personal bills and what is the actual number versus just, now I need to match his salary. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you need to pay your bills. So what is that number? Yeah. And if you can't do it with the clients that you have, what can you do? What can you control, right? So many people just freeze. And also like, what can your husband do? He could go drive for Uber. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Why do you have to solve all the problems, right? Right. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I always love to remind myself, like, I have marketable skills. I have marketable skills. I could get a job again if I needed to. This is something interesting. I just, a little side note. A lot of my clients have a lot of thoughts about that, about getting a job again. And they're very resistant towards it because... It's like epic failure if you have to get a job. Oh my God, I failed at business because I have to get a job now. I told this to a client a couple months ago. I love my business so much. I would get a job to keep it open. Mm Mm-hmm. If I, for any reason, needed to, I would absolutely go out there and get a job so that I could keep my business open while I work out whatever problem I was facing. Yeah, me too. It's not because (laughs) I failed at business. It's like, no, I'm keeping the ship rolling no matter how. Yes, exactly. And I think that little reframe sometimes helps people with the crippling failure that they can feel with needing to supplement their income in another way. Yeah. And I think especially too, when they're starting out and it seems like just so dangerous for things not to work right away when it's like, you know, the part where you can make a hundred K in your first year of business, which I have people doing, it's like astonishing to me. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Like three years. <laughs> well, yeah, me too. Like no. it takes, sometimes it takes a lot of time or it takes yeah. different iterations of what you're doing, you know, all of these things, but just because you don't do it in one year doesn't mean you're a failure. Like not at all. If it took you five years, you're still going to be so excited that you did it and it changes you as a person. I never knew earning 100K was a goal to aspire to either until I had my very first coach and she was like, Well, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, $100,000 would be so insane because it would match what my husband was first paid as a doctor. Yeah. And like that idea of that much money was not available for me. You had to be a doctor or a lawyer in order to earn that kind of money. That's funny because my first salary out of college was 105 because yeah. I worked in tech. Well, I was a social worker when I graduated from <laughs> That's college. <fair>. So. <laughs> social workers are not usually the highest paid people. <laughs> not saying they should be, but right. right. Anyways, I had the drama of, I make so much money in tech. How am I ever going to quit my job? Because I was doing what I just told you all not to do. Yeah. I was trying to match my corporate salary when that actually wasn't a number that was relevant. It was just a number that was there. Mm-hmm. So I compared to it and it took me a lot longer to quit my job because of all of the comparison I had to my high tech salary. Yeah. I see that with like physical therapists or occupational therapists that come through my program because it, their physical therapy, their corporate physical therapy job seems so safe. 
but they're working 60 hours a week. They're documenting more than they're treating patients. Like their life force is being sucked out of them by the system. And maybe they are making 100K with benefits or blah, blah, blah. But most of the time when we look at the facts and we look at how much they're working, to leave that to work 15 to 20 hours for more pay, just but maybe you pay out of pocket for your insurance. Yeah. Seems so crazy, but they all do it. (laughs) You couldn't pay me to go back to tech. You truly couldn't pay me unless I needed to, like I said, I would be willing to go back if I needed to. But in order to make the amount of money that I'm making now in tech, I would have to be like a director or VP. Mm -hmm. They work so much and they're constantly in the pressure of the office politics. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Like I will not go back. No. No, I agree. And I look at what my husband does now and he is a manager of people. Yeah. And he never has any time off. It just sounds like a nightmare. Like, no, thanks. I just want the freedom of being an entrepreneur of no one else telling me what to do and of me setting my own hours and me. I just get to decide how much money I make. And when I tell my clients that they can do that too, they're just like, what? I get to just decide. It's not just the going rate or the average or whatever such and such is doing. I don't have to wait to be an expert. What is happening? I'm going to the dentist today and I don't have to tell anyone. That's right. You don't have to have permission. (laughs) No permission. I mean, we can harp on all the benefits of entrepreneurship. Yes, all of the things. But actually, I think to the point of this conversation around money, I used to feel that my tech job was so safe and so high paying and so many benefits and the health insurance and the 401k matching and the stock benefits and all of that. And now I couldn't ever be convinced to go back. And then the irony is like, now tech is going through all these layoffs. There's layoffs left and right. And luckily, none of my friends at the company I used to work for have been laid off. But I'm like, but they could be, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you're at the whim of a corporation. And so I think that I reject the notion that a nine to five is safe. It's not safe. And I also reject the notion that entrepreneurship is risky and dangerous because we have variable income. Like, yeah, we have variable income. And it's so much better than the alternative. Yes. When you learn how to save and manage your money and pay yourself and like calm down Mm -hmm. about money. Yes. Okay. So on that note, I know that you no longer coach people on debt. Well, I do, but yeah, let's talk about it. Like, tell me your philosophy around the debt because I love it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. So I have a couple (laughs) philosophies in when you're in six figure saver, I have a firm boundary, save first debt last. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason I'm not just saying that because I have a saving program. (laughs) most people are stuck in what I call the debt loop. And here's the debt loop. And if you recognize yourself in this loop, I'm giving you a big warm hug, but I'm calling you out too. Mm -hmm. Here's how it starts. You're in debt. Mostly credit card debt is a thing people have thoughts about. You're in debt and you feel really bad about it. And you feel specifically irresponsible. Like I'm not a responsible adult. So you're feeling bad and you have all these emotions. And then you make some extra money. And then you're like, cool. The responsible thing to do would be to pay this off. So I'm going to put my extra money towards paying off the debt. And then we feel better for a moment. We're like, cool. I was pat on the back, did the responsible thing. Then something comes up because something always, always, always comes up. Like that's life. Whether it's a personal thing, a business thing, whatever, something comes up, but now you don't have any cash to pay for the thing because you put all your cash towards paying off the debt. So what do you do? You put the thing on a credit card. 
And then we're at the beginning. We're back in debt. And now we feel double irresponsible because you're like, oh, I paid it off and I was so good. And if this thing hadn't have happened, I would have stayed out of debt, but now I'm back and now I'm doubly irresponsible. And the cycle just continues. Like I keep feeling bad. All my extra money that I make keeps getting put towards the debt and continue. So when I say save first, debt last, I want to cut that cycle, nip it in the bud. So let's start again. Let's say you have debt. I want you to feel neutral about it, not irresponsible. Debt is a thing that we have. I have debt. Like 99% of my clients have debt. It's very rare that I have a client who doesn't have debt. And it means nothing about you, especially as an entrepreneur where we, most entrepreneurs use debt to make money. They use debt as a tool. We definitely spend money to make money in entrepreneurship. And I want you to just feel neutral about it. You're not an irresponsible adult for having it. If you felt neutral, any extra money you make wouldn't be put towards the debt. It would be put towards your savings while you pay the minimums on your debt. That one gets people (laughs) because then they have thoughts about the interest. We'll park that for a moment. All your extra money is going to go to savings, your working capital, then something's going to come up, right? Because it always does, but you have the working capital to cover it. And then you're going to keep going. Once your savings gets to a point where you have multiple months of break even and then some, then go ahead and pay off your debt in lump sums, right? Like, cool, I got my whatever it is, 20, 50, 10K in savings, and I have another 20K. I'm just going to pay off all my debt in one click, and now I'm done. And I still have cash left to cover the things that continue to come up, but it starts with saving first and then debt last. So that's what we teach in Six Figure Saver. And my philosophy continues into Seven Figure Wealth. Like I still hold that philosophy close. In Seven Figure Wealth, We take it a step further and we talk about leveraging debt. Like, okay, cool. You got neutral about debt. Now I want you to get strategic because debt is one of the biggest wealth builders in America. Like corporations, banks, governments use debt to make billions of dollars. And yet you're over here feeling bad. (laughs) Like we need to start learning how to use debt to build wealth. And that's what we do in Seven Figure Wealth. We also do some debt strategy stuff, but I really want people to start viewing debt as a wealth tool, not just a burden. It's not a burden, it's a tool. I love that so much. So we kind of like completely circumvent the whole debt payoff idea Mm -hmm. because it's just, it should just be covered. Like if you're saving, you should just, it's covered in Six Figure Saver. And then we need to start using debt as a tool. And that, I'm really passionate about that topic. Like I have a friend who has a $250,000 mortgage. She got it in COVID, 2%. Real, real nice. And she was about to pay it all off. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why would you pay off the mortgage when it's so low interest? Let's reinvest that cash in the market and make you more money. Yes. But like, these are the kinds of conversations that we're not having. We're just like, oh, debt is bad. Let me pay it off. Paying interest is bad. Let me pay it off. No. Debt is renting money. So if you're renting it for cheap enough, it probably makes sense to have it. Yes. I think that's so important. And I hope if you take nothing else away from listening to this episode, if you can just understand that 
It's okay for you to have debt. It's okay for you to put things on a credit card. It's not always the best decision for your business to pay things in full with your cash. You know, maybe you pay it in full on your credit card, you get points and you rent the money for a little while. Do you want to like talk about though, like the idea of paying in full and having the cash for it? You know, what would you say to people that like want to invest in coaching or invest in a program for their business and they don't quite yet have the cash, but by investing that, money, they could maybe, you know, create six figures in their business versus just creating 20K for the next five years. What do you think about that? I have a couple things and this is a nuanced conversation and I'm a Gemini and I hold multitudes. So <laughs> that is the disclaimer. In Six Figure Saver, I teach you to save to pay in full because we're a savings program. So I want you to like practice the philosophies and save to pay in full. And I think there's a lot of benefits to paying in full. You get it done with. Like I love paying in full because I'm like, cool, I'm done. Like now I just get to focus on the coaching. Yeah, I like that feeling too. Right. And like, it's not on my books. It doesn't increase my break even. It's something that I don't have to think about anymore. But that doesn't have to be a rule, right? Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't have to be a steadfast thing that holds you back. I also use payment plans. Like I just resigned in a mastermind. And the first time I signed, I paid in full. And this time I was like, oh, I'm just going to do the payment plan because... I'm switching my business model a little bit and my cash flow is a little different than it used to be. So I think that this is what I would feel more comfortable with. I'm not going to shame myself either way. There's no right or wrong way. Right. But I do have a strong perspective on investing in general in your business, which is when it comes to like thinking about the ROI and thinking about does this make sense for my business or not? I have my clients go through ROI plans where we start with what is my business's goal? Like this year, make it a big, like the yearly goal. So my goal this year was 500K, probably going to pass it. So I'm now thinking about a million dollar year. Mm -hmm. If that's my business's goal, what do I need to hit that goal? Let me answer that. It might be a lot of things, right? So I'm going to sit with that question. What do I need to hit this goal? And then what coaching do I need to do that? And when you kind of sit with those questions, it very quickly answers what programs, what coaches, whatever it is that you should invest in. Once I have those answers, then I make my investing decisions. So I invested in this mastermind where the thing that I needed to learn was launching. My business needs for me to know how to launch. Yep. So that's what I'm going to do. I invested in the program. What does the program cost? What is the ROI that I want? So the program cost 15K. The ROI I wanted was a six-figure launch. So then I just asked myself, does that math make sense? Yes, I'm going to do that. That's a (laughs) no-brainer, right? Like, yeah, I'll pay 15,000 to make 100. And then it's not only to make 100, but to learn the skill of making 100 that is repeatable. Yeah, so you do it over and over and over. Yeah. (laughs) And then, okay, cool. What coaching do I need to hit a six-figure launch? And then I bring that to my coach. I think a lot of people invest from shiny object syndrome or what they think they need. I used to invest by throwing money at my problems. Yeah, I've done that lots of times. Oh, yeah. And I learned a lot from that. Like I learned a lot Mm -hmm. about myself, but I used to be like, wow, I'm a bad copywriter. Let me just outsource it before figuring out how to do it myself. So I think that the ROI plans are really helpful to neutralize outside of any given program that you're considering, what it is that your business needs for you to hit a goal. Mm -hmm. And I really like to have my clients spend time there. Also coming back to the conversation of debt, what if you need to go into debt for that program? 
Well, if you know how much the program costs and you know that this is what your business needs to hit your business's goal, and you know how much the interest is on your credit card, you could calculate how much the total cost is going to be. So the cost of the program plus the interest, and then still decide, does the ROI make sense? I've done that too. When I had emptied my working capital and I was low on cash, and then I just decided, you know, I'm going to put it on a credit card and pay the interest. Yeah. And the interest plus the cost of the program is still cheaper than the result. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. But like, notice how it's all neutral. Yeah. You are so neutral about your numbers. Like I really am. When I think about paying interest on my credit card, I'm always like, because I've always been able to pay it off or we've transferred it to a zero interest credit card, paid a small, small fee, you know, nothing near what the interest would be. Yeah. And I think I'm getting to a point in my business where there will be times where I might have to carry a balance just because the cost of doing business now is so much higher than it's ever been for me. Cause I have a team and all, you know, all the things Yeah, I'm not willing to compromise on not having it <laughs> just to save a little money. So do you have any advice for people that really, really, really are resistant to paying interest? Like, how do you get to neutral on that? Yeah. There's a couple things. Like first I would just ask, why are you resistant to paying interest? I think I make it mean that it's like something's wrong with me. Like I've just been taught over and over again. You shouldn't do that. That's a very, very poor decision to make. And why is it a poor decision? I don't know. When I say it, when the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, no, that's opposite land because I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how to make these decisions. I don't just buy things haphazardly. Yeah. And I've put myself in a position to be able to have that credit which I think not everybody has access to credit. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not really even your story. Yeah. As you say it out loud, the words aren't yours. Exactly. So whose words are they? Yeah, I think they're my parents and whoever, you know, Dave Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> so let's leave Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Let's just he think about your this for a minute. <laughs> what I love to do is like ask myself, okay, how are my parents right from their perspective? Mm-hmm. They love me. They want me to be financially secure. They're giving me the best advice they can with the perspective they have. My parents were never entrepreneurs. And so they've given me lots of money advice that does not work in the context of entrepreneurship. And I can still be like, you know what? They really love me. Mm -hmm. And I can still love them and love that they gave me that advice and then decide, yes, this advice is applicable or no, it's not. And here's why. That's all we have to do. Yeah. It's like, it's really just catching the story and then saying it out loud, having that awareness and then making a new decision. Absolutely. And it's, it can be hard, right? It can be hard when no one is asking you these prodding questions. It can be hard to do this alone in your office with a notebook, but it can be so easy. When I hear you, I'm like, it's very obvious. Mm -hmm. I know. And when you just say like (laughs) a couple of words to me, then I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have to then spend so much time worrying about whether or not I'm going to have to pay interest. I can just spend the time getting neutral about it. Right. So then next time it happens, it's just not even a problem. Yeah. And you know, what's funny, like to your point about like the balance transfers and stuff, that may be a smart financial strategy to pay less money. But my thought is how much administrative time will it take me to do that? And can I just make more money in that time instead of spending the time transferring the balance? Oh, that's so good. I am constantly thinking about the administrative costs of financial strategies because I'm like, it's just not worth my time. If it's going to take me an hour on the phone, I could have made a $2,000 sale and paid for six months of the interest in an hour. Yeah. The same for MFR therapists listening to this, like you could have just sold a package. 
you know, how many packages do you need to sell to cover the cost of coaching? Right. That's how I used to pay my rent. I'd be like, how many packages is it to cover this rent? You know, how many am I going to have to do every month in order to know that this is covered? Yeah. And I would do it no matter what, because I, I just knew the numbers inside and out. Because you were specific. Yeah. And I didn't even know that that's what I was doing back then. Yeah. It's interesting too. I think a lot of people with interest, they have thoughts like, it's going to get away from me. It's going to keep growing. It's going to be a beast. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. Right. And I think that that story is so common with student debt and like Mm -hmm. the national conversation around student debt, credit card debt as well. And so to the point of like, oh, I'm just so afraid it's going to get away from me. That's also vague. What does that even mean? Yeah. You might have to pay it two or three months or are you thinking you're going to pay it for 30 years? Right, like give me exact numbers. Go pull up a credit card calculator and an interest calculator and tell me exactly how much it's going to cost you for however many months. And then let's just make a plan. Yeah. But like noticing where you're being vague with interest or vague with fears around debt. And once you notice it and then you get out of it and you create like specificity, then we can just make a real easy plan. Mm Mm-hmm. I noticed too, though, people are sometimes like kind of righteous around credit card debt. Like I'm a cash only person and I don't do this and I'm not like those people. Yeah. (laughs) I have a client like that. (laughs) Yeah. I do too. And it can go down this slippery slope of just pain and agony and keep you completely stuck. Yeah. You know what I told her? I have a client who for all intents and purposes, and I do think she's wonderful. She is really good with money. She has like a fully stacked retirement and investment accounts and she has cash flow and business savings and all the things, but she has this righteous energy around, well, I've never been in debt. I don't need debt. I never had student debt. I never had credit card debt. I'm so good. That's the word you. I'm so good. And I'm so proud of the fact that I've never had debt. <laughs> and because she's a longtime client and I feel comfortable being pretty spicy with her, I looked at her and I said, why are you proud of not making more money? Yeah. How has your lack of debt and your pride around not refusing to touch debt how has that held you back? And how could you have already been 10 times further if you just let yourself have debt? And she was like, <laughs> this is like a mic drop moment. Like for people listening to this, like really ask yourself that same question. Yeah. How is your righteousness around not having debt or your fear around having debt kept you from making money? And I think that it's not an individualistic problem. I think it's very much societal and sexist. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Male-dominated industries don't have this problem. Mm Male-dominated industries have no problems taking on and leveraging hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. Just look at the tech startup bros who take millions of dollars of funding. They have no problem with this. And I've noticed female-dominated industries have a lot of thoughts about it. And there's a lot of good and bad. Like I am bad for taking on debt. I'm a bad steward of my money. I'm reckless. And I'm like, again, coming back to debt is one of the biggest wealth vehicles in the United States. And why are we exempt from that? Why can't we also take part? Yeah. Like there's a lot of interesting double standards at play with this. Yeah. I see that all the time because the majority of the people I work with are women. And Mm -hmm. when we have men in the group, their thoughts about these things are totally different. Like it's not something really that I coach them on. Yeah. And I bring it up all the time. I notice how none of the males in this room are having (laughs) an issue. Yeah. 
and how all of us females are just dragging this chain along with us and we don't see it. Yeah. That's such a good point. It is. It's like this invisible weight and we think that everybody has it and they don't. They don't. Yeah. And it's just their thoughts. And a lot of it comes to, to like self-trust. Like, can I trust myself to pay it off? Mm. And that's again, where that's very vague. (laughs) And what would it take to pay it off? And do you think you could do that? Yes or no. And then like, we can have like a really, really rich conversation when we have all the data in front of us. Yeah. I love that. I love collecting facts and data and like making decisions from there. And I also need someone to sometimes hold my hand through that process because something gets triggered and I cannot see the end of the line. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and it just seems overwhelming. So it's so important to have these conversations and to shed light on our thoughts and ideas about money that are keeping us from having as much money potential as we could have. Yeah. It's no surprise to me that my clients in Six Figure Saver especially earn a lot more money. Mm -hmm. I've earned more than ever since working with you and saved more money. And I don't teach you any marketing things. I don't talk about messaging. I don't talk about marketing. I don't give my clients Instagram strategies. But it's like, yeah, when we clean up our thoughts about money and when we start feeling more calm with money, we just have so much more capacity to make more and be strategic in our businesses. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's like just, it's really this, you said at the beginning, what's first the chicken or the egg? And I'm like, both (laughs) go together. (laughs) They go together. The chicken has the eggs. The eggs have the chicken. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we wrap this up? And we might, I might have to have you back on later. I know you're coaching for my group. And so this is a really lucky thing, you guys, for people that are in my coaching program, Gina is coming in and spending three hours doing a training on money with them. I'm so excited. I am so so excited. excited. They're so lucky. (laughs) I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, you know what I would say? There's one more thing because we talked a lot about so many different topics If you are listening to this and you're like, oh my God, there's so many things. There's so many things to cover. There's so many things to do. And like, and especially I'm speaking to, especially the person who has retirement or investing, like, oh my God, I'm so far behind. How am I ever going to catch up and do all of that? Yep. Focus on saving first. Saving claims up so much, like really, really, really so much. And it doesn't have to take a long time to figure out how to save with variable income. But what I see oftentimes is when people don't know the mechanics of saving with their variable income, and then they jump to trying to pay off debt, or they jump to stock market investing, or they jump to retirement stuff, they usually get stuck there and then they give up and then it feels like a failure. And I'm like, it's just because we haven't learned how to save yet. So saving really is the foundation. And then those other things come so easily. But If you're just like, oh my God, Gina, what do I focus on first? Just focus on saving first. And then if you already feel really good about that, then let's talk about setting up the investments and paying off the debt and that other stuff. But just to give a little bit of structure for people who might feel like we talked about a lot of topics. (laughs) Welcome to my podcast where we just go on a wild chicken ride. (laughs) No, it's fun. It's good. (laughs) Yeah. And I was going to say too, just the act of transferring the money into that working capital account with the idea that it is to be spent is so helpful. And instead of like squirreling money away into thousands, like I used to have a hundred different accounts and they all had (laughs) different amounts of money and I didn't know what any of them were doing. So just having this simple structure 
and the act of transferring the money with the idea that this is for spending later. It's so helpful to know that, that you're, you're saving the money, but to use it, not to just have a pile of money. Because the pile, I've noticed this for me, like, yeah, because I've saved more money than ever, but the pile of money is still just a circumstance. It doesn't create safety for me. And that's been wild to watch. It's like, oh, I felt the same amount of safety with $2,000 in my account as I did with $60,000 in my account. No one wants to hear that, Heather. Don't say that to the people. They don't want to hear it. I know, but I just like to tell the truth. (laughs) No, but it's so true. It is really true. Yeah. The repetitive act of doing that over and over again helps it become more and more automated. So it's not so scary to transfer money out of your account. Because I also got to the point where I was like, well, I need to have $50,000 in my checking account at all times, just in case. Like, that's not the case. Like, I know exactly how much money my bills are every month. So I keep that in there with a buffer. And then everything else, goes to working capital. Yeah. To your point too, about like saving to spend with the working capital, my perspective is that every dollar is meant to be spent. Mm -hmm. Every single dollar you have. So like, it just may be for different things. So the working capital is meant to be spent on the business. Your retirement is also meant to be spent on your retirement. Your emergency fund is meant to be spent on emergencies. There's no such thing as saving for saving's sake, period. Yeah. And I think a lot of our parents, especially, there's a lot of like hoarding mentality and like, I'm retired and I have this pile of money, but I can't afford to do anything because they don't want to spend their savings. Yes. And I'm like, every dollar that you save is meant to be spent at some point. So we also want to get specific about like the kind of the different piles, right? Like I have a big pile for retirement and I could dip into it early if I need to, but it's kind of generally meant for later me. And I have a pile for emergencies. And like when I got into a car accident a couple months ago, we paid the stupid deductible and that came from that pile, right? So like, mm-hmm. I think that just as much as people have resistance to saving to begin with, people have a lot of resistance to spending their savings. They're like, I can't let go. And I had the opposite where I'm like, the faster I let go, the faster it'll come back. As long as I'm being intentional, Right. Right. It's not like just go make a pile of money yeah. and then go blow it. That's not right. what you're saying. Like this is very, unless you very meant to. unless you meant to, like you should have <laughs> like, blow yeah. a pile. Sometimes yeah. I have like a very intentional, I'm going to just completely splurge. Like we went to Europe and I was like, I don't want to have a budget. I'm just going to splurge. Mm-hmm. But you still kind of had an idea of how much you could spend, right? Right. But it was on purpose. Yeah. That's super fun. And I think for people who have never thought about the idea of having like a splurge situation that you intentionally do. What is your life like? And what is the value of those experiences when you plan to do that on purpose versus the constant punishment of not doing a good job, never having enough and all that. And then like the, well, I suck at budgeting anyway. So YOLO and I'm just going to spend. And then the really self-shaming spiral that can happen afterwards. Yeah. It's not worth it. It's not worth the energy. (laughs) It is not. It is not. And it's a constant cycle of that. So I would rather be on the end where I learn how to save. I learn how to spend. And I just become more intimate with my money and my story so that I can make my money do everything it's capable of doing versus being afraid of it. That you want. Yeah. Being afraid. Yeah. And to this point too, it's like, I think the reason this conversation is important is saving is not synonymous with restriction. Yeah. 
saving is actually what enables like never having to say no. Mm, That's so good. I don't restrict myself. I never restrict my spending and I'm saving so much money. (laughs) Right. It's kind of like the idea of like not restricting calories and, you know, like working out really hard and like having all these rigid restrictions or you'll gain weight back. But like when you start to figure out like, why am I doing all of these things and you don't restrict anymore and you suddenly become healthy. Yeah. Or like the whole, yeah, like I'm going to be good. Yeah. Being good versus being bad. Right. But then you like binge on ice cream and like go crazy. And then not only do you gain weight, but you literally feel sick because Mm -hmm. you ate so much crap. Versus like, what if you were just allowed to have ice cream every day? What if you were just allowed to spend money? Yeah. It's so close to dieting. It is. It's funny. My co-coach in Six Figure Saver is a health coach. I know. I know her. I've been on her program too. Oh my God. It's amazing. And it's like so perfectly (laughs) aligned. It's the same thing. And she, her whole thing is like, lose 10 pounds without dieting. And I'm like, it's exactly the same. I think we can say her name here. She's been on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Jennifer Dent Brown, we're shouting you all the way out. <laughs> we love, we love Jennifer Dent Brown. She's incredible, yeah, incredible so much crossover. And yeah. like, I even think for MFR therapists, I've had her on my program before because I want them to take excellent care of themselves, right? We're so mean to ourselves internally. Yeah. It reflects in how we present to the world and how we feel in our bodies. And so, yeah, there's just so much crossover with all of the coaching I like all of us need all of this. It's changing my life. So I want to expose all of you to that. Amazing. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the program today. And it'll be fun to have you back and we can have yeah. other rabbit hole money discussions. Absolutely. The more exposure, especially women talking about these topics, women talking about, I mean, Gina's working towards a million dollar a year, y'all. Like this is possible for you. Even in your MFR business, there are ways to get there that don't require you working a thousand hours a week. There are ways to get there. You just have to decide that this is something that you want. Yeah. And it's okay if you don't want a million dollar business, you get to decide what you want. And I think just having that freedom to decide and know that there's a path to any amount of income, when you know your facts and you know what you want, we can get you there. Right. Exactly. How can people find you? Primarily on www.ginanox.co. And that will take you to all the things, all the links. But I'm also very active on Instagram at Gina Knox. And you talked about my podcast earlier in the episode, Save Six Figures with Gina Knox. I would say those are the main places to find me. Yeah. All right, everybody. Go follow Gina. Check her out. Definitely listen to her podcast. Just listening to that podcast. There's so much value there that she just gives away for free. Go listen to her. It's going to change your life. So... Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. (laughs) All of the information on how to contact Gina will be available in the show notes. So make sure you look for those links and go and check her out. And I'll be back next week with another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. Thanks y'all for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today. My mission is to help every MFR therapist become a part of the movement where no MFR therapists ever under earn or burn out. Join my 12-month coaching program. You'll spend the first 90 days setting up your foundation to create your six-figure business. Then you'll go to work and uncover exactly what's holding you back from the business that you want and desire. Get support while you raise your rates, set your policies, and learn how to talk about MFR and how to sell MFR in service of your clients. Learn exactly how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town and even if you've had your business for years. 
This program is open to all MFR therapists who want to create what is possible when you stop playing small and start showing up in your full power as the John Barnes trained MFR therapist you are. Put your magic to work in the world and help more people get out of pain and back to active lifestyles. I'll help you do it. Go to www.themfrcoach.com backslash coaching and sign up right now.